Well, good morning once again. Today, we begin a new sermon series in the Old Testament book of Numbers. Now, before you turn your Bibles to Numbers, though, I actually want to ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to start our series in Numbers in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'll show you why that is here in just a moment. We'll get to Numbers chapter 1 here in a little while, but first I'd like to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But even before we get to that, the question I imagine you might be asking is, why Numbers? Why are we going to preach through the book of Numbers? Now, I must say right off the bat, we will not be preaching through the book of Numbers in the same way we preach through the book of 1 John, verse by verse by verse by verse by verse. If we did that, y'all would be in the book of Numbers for the rest of my life, okay? It's a longer book. We can't do that, but we will be hitting uh, a good portion of the book of Numbers, a good cross-section of uh, what we might consider the high points. Now, the first reason why we're in Numbers is because as we finished 1 John, that was a New Testament book, I thought it'd be really good if we did an Old Testament book now. We need a, a balanced diet of Scripture, right? But Having said that, some of you might be saying, well, well, yeah, but why didn't you pick a good one? No, we're doing an Old Testament book, but what, why Numbers, right? Well, Leviticus and Numbers, I have to be honest, Leviticus and Numbers in ministry, we say this is where Bible reading plans go to die, okay? Because you get through Genesis, and Genesis we all are familiar with, and there's the stories, and there's the main characters, and we get it. And then Exodus, there's a lot of the same kind of narrative, exciting action, lots of different things. Now, obviously, toward the end of the book of Exodus, you get into the instructions for the temple, and that's a little bit harder. But then when you come to Leviticus and Numbers, it just seems like there, there's a lot of weird laws that don't apply anymore. It's not near as familiar as those stories that we grew up in Sunday school with. And in, in the book of Numbers, honestly, there's a lot of counting of people. There's a couple big censuses that are taken in the book of Numbers. And yet... 2 Timothy 3.16-17 tells us, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that all Scripture is God-breathed? All Scripture is the Word of God, and all Scripture is profitable to us. If every part of the Bible is the Word of God, then there's power here in the book of Numbers. There's lessons here of eternal importance that we cannot skip over. This book is very neglected, very neglected, but it's packed full of great stories. I can't wait to show you some of the things that are in the book of Numbers, especially if you've never read through it. There are some great stories in the book of Numbers. Numbers teaches us so much about the character of God, but it also teaches us a great deal about human nature. You see, when we read these stories about the nation of Israel, God wants us to see ourselves in the nation of Israel. Right? As we go through the book of Numbers over the course of these next few months, you're going to look at the nation of Israel and you're going to see yourself in them. And you're going to say, wow, 3,000 plus years ago, they're, they're experiencing the same things that I'm experiencing. They're going through a lot of the same things that I'm going through. They have some of the same sin issues that I have. You're going to see yourself in the nation of Israel. 
And we do that throughout the whole Old Testament. But in the book of Numbers specifically, as we make our journey through it over the next few weeks and months. Now, in 1 Corinthians 10, I want you to look there with me. 1 Corinthians 10, there Paul tells us something absolutely fascinating about the book of Numbers. It's fascinating when you really get into it. Let's read it. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 10, and I'm going to start at verse 1. I'm going to read down to verse 11, okay? It's a little bit longer of a portion of Scripture, but I want you to see what Paul is saying here. Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. We're going to come back to that phrase, in the wilderness, here in just a moment. More on that. Verse 6, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our own instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Now notice the amazing thing that Paul says here about the events in the book of Numbers. As Paul went through all of those different things, He's highlighting things that happened in the book of Numbers. Okay, There's all kinds of things in that section that we just read about the book of Numbers and the events there. But he says the actual reason why these events took place was for us today. The whole reason that these things happened so that we might learn from them, not to desire evil, not to indulge in sexual immorality, not to put Christ to the test, not to grumble against God. It's a warning Look at verse 6. It says, they took place as examples for us. Verse 11, they were written down for our instruction. You guys, this is amazing. Because what Paul is saying is the primary reason why the events in the book of Numbers happened was not for the people of that time. The primary reason they happened was for people in the New Covenant. For people today to read and to look at and to see and to learn from to learn about the character of God, to take heed as a warning so as not to do these things that would cause us to invoke God's wrath. These things happen for us, people like you and me. And what a tragedy it is that God did all of this thousands of years ago and the people He did it for cannot even be bothered to read it. These things happen for us. There will be times when we study the book of Numbers and you will begin to think, why did God do this? Why is God doing it that way? And this happens over and over again in the Old Testament. And the reason is because he's doing something intentionally to be a lesson for people in the new covenant. It's amazing the foresight that God has, 
The wisdom that God has, the knowledge that even as they are going through this, they are an example. They are going through things for us. And so the book of Numbers is not just some archaic history book full of outdated morals. Now, this book is extremely relevant. God intended for people in the year 2020 to read the book of Numbers and to profit from it. And I can't wait to show you some of these things over the course of our series in this book together. Now, having said all of that in 1 Corinthians 10, let's go back actually to the book of Numbers now. So the book of Numbers is in the Old Testament. It's the fourth book in your Bibles. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Let's go to chapter 1, verse 1. Numbers chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read the first three verses. And this is our introduction to this book as we begin this new series on Numbers. There in Numbers 1.1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting, on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel, by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male head by head, from 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them company by company. Now I want you to notice that phrase in verse 1, in the wilderness. In the wilderness. It's the title of the message today. Now, this is actually the name of the book of Numbers in the Hebrew Scriptures, right? In the Hebrew Scriptures, the name of the book of Numbers is not Numbers, it's In the Wilderness. And I actually think that's a better title, to tell you the truth. I wish our English Bibles titled this book In the Wilderness, because you look at the, the, the title of the book now, and you see Numbers, and you're like, oh, great, here we go. But In the Wilderness is a little bit more indicative of what the book is all about. And you read that, and you think, oh, what's going to happen here? In the Wilderness, right? This is actually the, the title of the book in the Hebrew Scriptures. You see, let me give you a little backstory. Remember, the Israelites have just come out of Egypt, Egyptian slavery, for 400 years. And Moses is the man God uses to deliver the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery by the ten plagues. And once they come out, finally by the tenth plague, Pharaoh lets them go, but he changes his mind, and then the Red Sea miracle happens, right? And God destroys Pharaoh and his soldiers, and the Israelites are brought eventually to Mount Sinai. And when they are at Mount Sinai, God gives them the law, the Ten Commandments and other laws along with them. And they camp there for a long time, a long time. And we start this book of Numbers right there. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai. You see, the entire book of Leviticus happens right there at Mount Sinai, because the entire book of Leviticus is God giving them instructions on how he can dwell in their midst and they can dwell in his presence without them dying because he's so holy and they are sinful people. And after Leviticus and all of the laws and all of the ordinances in the book of Leviticus, we come to the book of Numbers and they're still there at the foot of Sinai, right? But in this first part of the book of Numbers, you will see God is preparing the people to enter the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land that God promised to Abraham and his descendants all the way back in Genesis 12. He's preparing them to enter the promised land, and they are on the brink of it. They will make a journey 
Here in the first section of the book of Numbers to Canaan. And this journey doesn't take very long. It takes about two weeks, we think, from Mount Sinai to this promised land, the edge of it. So they're on the brink. But in the second part of the book, the people rebel against God. And they don't trust His power. And He sentences them to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They do not get to enter the promised land. And He tells them at that point, because you did not trust me, because you have rebelled against me, this generation will die in the wilderness. You will not get to see what I have promised. Your children will see it, but you will not. Everyone 20 years old and up will die, except for two. We'll get to that story in the coming weeks. But as they do this, then they have to wander through the wilderness for 40 years. And that's the middle part, the main section of the book of Numbers. And then finally, at the end of the book, that rebellious generation has died out. And they have come full circle to a new start. They are once again, at the end of the book, once again on the brink of the promised land. Only now it's a new generation. God's promise has been fulfilled. Every single person has died out, including Moses. And now they are about to enter the promised land once again. And that's the book of Numbers in a nutshell. But they spend 40 years wandering in that wilderness. Now one big reason we need the book of Numbers is because we experience seasons in our own lives where we are in the wilderness, do we not? We spend time in our own wilderness during seasons of our lives. And so we need the book of Numbers. We need to see how God reacts to his people and how his people react to him in the wilderness. You see, sanctification happens in the wilderness. Sanctification, the the process of God making us more holy, of God growing us up as his children, it happens in the wilderness, does it not? It happens when we spend time suffering, when we have dry periods where we feel like our love for God has grown cold, when we experience trials and challenges. That's when God is growing us. That's when He is sanctifying us. Those are actually times where God is making us more holy. He's putting us through the fire, so to speak, to make us stronger. You see, in the Psalms, we see David had all kinds of wilderness moments. Over and over again in the Psalms, we hear of David saying things to God like, God, where are you? How long will you let my enemies triumph over me? How long until you deliver me, O Lord? Why, why won't you show up? It feels like you're not here. He's, he's in the wilderness. He's in a wilderness season of his life. And this is such a common human experience that this is so helpful for us to go through this. James and Paul in the New Testament both tell us to rejoice in our sufferings, right? Rejoice in your sufferings. Because if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, that means God is working in you. You see, as human beings, we have a tendency to think when we're suffering, God's gone. God's not here. But I'm here to tell you that it's, it's the exact opposite. When you are going through suffering, if you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, that is evidence that God is right there with you. He is closer in times of suffering, in times of trial, in wilderness seasons. He is closer then than he ever is. He has said over and over again in Scripture, I will not leave you or forsake you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Think about Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized? And immediately after he is baptized in the book of Matthew, what happens? Well, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, listen to this. 
we read, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was led by the Spirit. The Spirit led him into the wilderness. It is not as though Jesus just happened to be walking around, and then all of a sudden he's there, and then Satan finds it as an opportune time. No, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And in the same way, God will lead you into the wilderness if you are His children. You see, I am not here to tell you that if you become a Christian, life is just going to be rosy and everything's going to be just happy and easy for the rest of your life. Now, I would be lying to you if that is the case. If you sign up to follow Jesus, if you sign up to follow Jesus, the Spirit sometimes is going to lead you into the wilderness. And it's for your own good. It's because He loves you. It's because Jesus is our ultimate example. And even Jesus, the one the Father loved the most, even Jesus was led into the wilderness. But remember, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus Himself was forsaken once on the cross. You remember this? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he was forsaken so that we would never have to be forsaken. The wilderness is where we meet God, growing us and sanctifying us. And it's because he cares about us. It's because he loves us. My favorite musical artist, perhaps, of all time is Ray Charles. And one of my favorite movies, consequently, is that movie Ray, where Jamie Foxx plays Ray Charles and won an Oscar for it. But in that movie, there's a scene where little Ray Charles, little boy Ray Charles, and his mom are starting to figure out that he's going blind and, and that his eye troubles are not just temporary troubles, that he's going to be blind for his entire life. And she starts to give him hard love. You know, she starts to help him to understand nobody's going to pity you just because you're blind. You've got to make your way in this world. You've got to learn. You've got to learn how to live. And there's this one little scene, it's beautiful, where little boy Ray comes into the house and he trips over a chair. And because he's at this point completely blind, he's scared. He's a little boy and he's really scared and he starts crying out for his mom and he's screaming for her because he doesn't know where he is. He's disoriented and he's hurt. And she's actually right there in the kitchen, in this little one-room house. She's right there. And you can tell she wants to, with every part of her being, she wants to go pick him up and tell him everything's going to be okay. And she's got tears, but she doesn't. She stays right there, and she stays quiet. And she doesn't let him know that she's there. And then slowly but surely, he starts to figure out no one's coming. And then he, he kind of stops crying. He wipes his eyes. He stands up, and he, he hears the fire crackling over there. He walks over, and he sticks out his hand, but then he brings it back, right? And then... You can tell he hears something outside, but his mom can't see it. And eventually, far off in the distance, a wagon comes that his mom couldn't even see, but he heard it coming. And then he hears a little bug crawling across the floor. He hears it, and he walks over to it, and he feels his way toward it, and he, he picks it up. He finds it. And at this point, his mom is trying her best to hold back all of her tears. And he picks up that bug, and he's listening to it, and then he says, I, I, I see you too, Mommy. I know where you are. You're right there. And then he says, why are you crying? And she says, because I'm happy. You know, she does that because she loves him. Because she loves him, she lets him experience the suffering. She lets him go through that. She lets him struggle through it. 
because she wants him to grow. And in the same way, God will allow us to experience wilderness seasons in our lives because he loves us. And so if you signed up to follow Jesus, know that that's coming. That's part of it. Suffering means he is working in you. He's working to make you more like Christ. I had a conversation with a buddy the other day, and he said, I was able to minister to this person because of all the, the suffering that I had gone through in the past year. My buddy said that, and I said, yeah, God does that a lot, doesn't he? You know, if, if you sign up to follow Jesus, that's part of the job description. God's going to put you through suffering so that you can help others because you're a minister now. When you sign up to follow Christ, you're not just a Christian, you're a minister to other people. So suffering means he's working to make you a more effective minister to others. Now, as we go through the, the book of Numbers, and we follow the Israelites through the wilderness, we're going to see the kindness and the severity of God. We're going to see God in his glory, and we're going to see God's kindness and God's severity. One great preacher has said the book of Numbers can be summed up by the verse in Romans 11.22. Romans 11.22 says, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. And that's the book of Numbers. See, in the book of Numbers, the kindness of God and the severity of God. We will see His severity when the people rebel against Him, primarily through His sentencing them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years so that the rebellious generation dies out. But as they wonder, as they wonder, you see both his kindness and his severity in little mini-episodes. He sends punishments when the people test him or when they grumble and complain. Yet, as they are wandering through the wilderness, and as he has sentenced that rebellious generation to die out in the wilderness, as he is doing this, his gracious compassion and his, his benevolence toward them comes out. He gives them manna from heaven. He leads them for 40 years, leading them and supernaturally sustaining them as he does. One of the, the, the more significant verses in the book of Deuteronomy, as it relates to the book of Numbers, is Deuteronomy 29.5, where God says, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. And earlier in that same book, Deuteronomy 8, he says, your feet have not swelled. And all of this walking around, you guys forgot. You guys didn't even think about it. Your clothes should have worn out a long time ago. Your sandals should have broken a long time ago. Your feet could have swelled. None of that happened. Why? Because I had my hand on you. I was being gracious and kind to you while you were doing this. While they are walking around, while they are walking around so that the generation will die out, he guides them. He guides them with a the cloud. Have you guys ever sung the, the hymn, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah? It's one of the more popular hymns in churches across America and England and uh, the UK. But it, don't look it up right now, but you can later. It's number 51 in your hymnals. Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. And in that song, you can read all about the book of Numbers. It's a whole song, a whole hymn, based on the book of Numbers. And so, for instance, in that hymn, you will read... Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. So William Williams, the guy who wrote that hymn, was talking about this wandering in the desert, in the wilderness of the Israelites. 
And in verse 2, you'll, you'll, you'll sing, you'll read, Let the fire and cloudy pillar lead me all my journey through. It's the cloud that God was leading them with. When that cloud would settle down in a place, that's where they would camp. They would stop. They would stay. But when that cloud would lift up and start moving, they would pack up and they would start moving. God is leading them and they are following. What a beautiful picture of how we are to follow and relate to God. So go look it up later one of these days. Number 51 in your hymnal, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. It's all about the book of Numbers. But he guides them with a cloud. He protects them from their enemies. We're going to see that over and over again. All throughout this episode where God's severity is evident in him sentencing them to die in the wilderness, even while he's doing that to them, he is showing them his gracious kindness. And over and over again, we see both his kindness and his severity, and especially his kindness and grace toward a people who deserve nothing but wrath. And this is meant to point you to Jesus. You see the gospel over and over again in Numbers. The gospel is all over the book of Numbers, and it's meant to point you to Jesus. In Romans 5, 8, we read that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 5.10, we read, while we were still enemies of God, He took the initiative to reconcile us to Him by sending Jesus to take our punishment on the cross. The gospel is all over this book of Numbers. And we will see, as we go through this, we will see that God keeps His promises. God keeps every one of His promises. Not one of God's promises has ever failed and especially, we will see that God's promise in the, the beginning of that second part of the book of Numbers, that no person over the age of 20 in that generation will enter the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. At the end of that book, you will see the promise is fulfilled exactly like God said it was because God is faithful. God keeps His promises. God keeps His promises. He kept His promise to Abraham. He brings the people to the land that he promised Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. And so this book of Numbers, all throughout it, you're going to see a wonderful picture, a wonderful mosaic of the character and glory of God. And it's one that we cannot neglect, even though we, we skip over it a lot in our Bibles, even though Numbers might not be a book that you've ever read through. You are going to see the glory and the goodness of God and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this book of Numbers. But finally, I want to leave you with this. In the book of Numbers, we've got two generations. Two generations. This one generation you saw right here at the beginning. They're about to take a census. They're getting ready to enter the promised land here in Numbers 1, 1 through 3. And they need to know how many warriors they have because once they come into the land of Canaan, they're going to have to fight. Right? That's what the book of Joshua and Judges is all about. They're going to have to fight. They're going to have to take the land that God gives to them. But they're going to have to trust that God is fighting for them. So they take a census. But this is the first generation. But as we said earlier, this first generation, in the first part of the second half of the book, they, they rebel against God. They lack faith. They do not trust God's power to take care of them and to give them that land. And this lack of faith ends in death in the wilderness. The other generation, the second generation, trusts God, which leads to abundant life in the promised land. And the question 
for you as we study the book of Numbers is, which generation are you going to be in? Which generation has your spiritual ancestors? Will you lack faith? Will you lack trust in God, which leads to ultimate death in the wilderness, a never-ending, lonely wilderness? Or will you trust Him to fight your battles for you? Will you give Him your life? Will you put your life in His hands and risk it all because you know that He can do it? Which leads to abundant life in the promised land. The ultimate promised land. The eternal promised land. God holds it out to all who have the faith of this second generation. And so I ask you this morning, which will your spiritual ancestors be as we go through the book of Numbers? Will you identify with those who refuse to put their faith in God and thus eventually suffer death in the wilderness? Or will you identify with those who trusted Him, who staked your eternity on what He can do, which ended in life in the promised land? Let's pray. Our Father, as we embark on this study of this book in your word, we pray that you would open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts. We pray that you would help us to see with our spirit. We pray that you would show us the truth of your glory and your goodness, your kindness and your severity. We pray that you would show us the truth of the gospel and the glory of your son, Jesus. And we pray that you would satisfy our hearts by reading of these things which were done and which happened for us. God, we, we humbly thank you. It's an absolute amazing privilege that you would have done all of this for us. And God, I pray that we would feel the weight of the fact that it is for us. I pray that for those of us sitting here this morning and for those that will be sitting here and listening to your word through the book of Numbers, that they would feel the weight of the fact that you have done this for them and they would not let it go to waste. They would not let it go to waste that you made these things happen so that they could come to know your son Jesus and be reconciled to you. God, thank you for your good word to us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in a book that we could read and study together. And thank you most of all for your son. Thank you that he was forsaken in his own wilderness so that we would never be forsaken. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.